0: The Peter Schiff Show. Well, earlier this morning, we got the first look at fourth quarter GDP. And as I suggested on the last podcast, and in fact, as I've been saying all along, we did see a sharp decline from the 3.5% that we got in the third quarter. The consensus was for a 2.2% estimate for growth in the fourth quarter and we came in at 1.9, so quite a ways below estimates and psychologically below that 2% number. You know, and part of the reason was a big drop in exports, and I talked about this last quarter, one of the reasons we got that 3.5% jump in Q3 GDP was the big surge in soybean exports, and that was because of a drought, I guess, overseas, which increased demand temporarily for U.S. beans. We got to export more, and that was a big part of the bump. The rest of it was the inventory build, which I still think needs to be worked off. In fact, I think we're going to work off a lot of it in the first quarter of this year. But a lot of those temporary factors going away, and we only got 1.9%. And again, that's the first estimate. Who knows? They may downwardly revise it the next time they give us the numbers. but if you now take the first three quarters of gdp growth and use the first estimate for q4 for the entire year 2016 gdp grew at just 1.6 that is really the slowest rate of growth of the obama presidency other than the first year 2009 which was a recession since then 1.6% is the slowest rate of growth. Now we did also grow at 1.6% in 2011, so we tied that number. So it's not the lowest, it's tied for the lowest, but it's certainly the lowest since 2011, and 2011 and now 2016 are the lowest of the entire so-called phony recovery. But if you remember, 2011 GDP growth was so weak that they launched QE3 in 2012. So they, they ended QE2, the economy started rolling over, and when they got that 1.6% GDP for the entire year, the Fed very quickly came out and launched QE3 the following year to goose the GDP back up. What are they doing now? Not only is the Fed not apparently getting ready to launch another round of QE, they're tightening monetary policy. They're saying we're going to raise interest rates three times, even though GDP is now the slowest it's been of the entire recovery. And even though it's decelerating, are we going to stimulate the economy? No, we're going to continue to sedate it with rate hikes. So normally you would think the market would be very worried, right? We have a weakening economy and we have the Fed saying they're going to raise rates. But I guess the markets are looking beyond all that to this you know, the salvation of the Trump stimulus, right? People are thinking, oh, it doesn't really matter what happened in Q4. And even if the Fed doesn't come to the aid of the economy with QE, we've got the fiscal stimulus now. So we don't need the monetary stimulus. We're going to have all these tax cuts. This is going to be great. And so that's probably why the market isn't reacting as much. The dollar index was actually up today on this week data. And in fact, not only did we get weaker than expected GDP numbers, the durable good number, that was also very bad for December. They were looking for a 2.6% increase following the 4.6% decline from November. Well, we actually revised that to an even bigger decline from 4.6 to 4.8. And instead of an increase of 2.6, we dropped another 0.4. So it was a terrible durable goods number, a bad GDP number yet the dollar index actually rose a little bit. Gold was up at only a couple of bucks, I think three bucks. And in fact, because it was down quite a bit yesterday, we're actually back below 1200 We closed at eleven ninety-one forty. dollars Silver had a big update. Silver was actually up 40 cents today, closed at 1714 But I think the reaction was muted in the currency markets and in the gold market because of the expectation that whatever weak growth we had, at the tail end of the Obama presidency is gonna go away under the Trump presidency because we're gonna get all this stimulus. Well, I think all of the hopes though for that stimulus are gonna prove to be false hopes. I mean, where is all the stimulus gonna come from? Well, a lot of people think it's gonna come from all the infrastructure spending that we're gonna get. And I guess building the wall is also infrastructure spending because we gotta put people to work building that wall, whether we get Mexico to pay for it or not, There's going to be people that are going to be working, building that wall, right? So this is going to stimulate the economy. And again, this is this broken window fallacy. Even Rick Santelli, I was on with Rick Santelli this week on CNBC, and I started talking about this, and Rick interrupted me and said, hey, wait a minute, Peter, but, you know, I just had to fix my roof. I had a leaky roof, and I had to fix it, and so that was, you know, spending money and doing something for the economy. And I had to point out to Rick, Rick, you know, it would have been better if your roof didn't leak, right? No homeowner wants to find out that they got a leaky roof and now they got to spend money fixing the roof, right? You'd rather have a good roof that's in good shape. Nobody wants to repair their roof because if you repair your roof, that means you can't do something else because where's the money coming from to fix your roof? You have to maybe not buy that new car or not take a vacation because you need to fix your roof, right? Infrastructure, spending money fixing infrastructure doesn't, improve your situation it's an unfortunate cost that has to be paid that's the same thing for an economy if we have so neglected our roads and our bridges that we now have to spend all this money fixing it that is not a boom to the economy that is a cost that unfortunately the economy must bear because the resources necessary to build the bridges and fix the roads have to come from somewhere we don't have an unlimited amount of, of resources. I mean, if, if countries could just, think, you know, improve their economies by spending government money on infrastructure, then nobody would ever be in a recession. Because governments can print all the money they want, right? And they can spend it on infrastructure. It doesn't work, right? Because all you're doing if, is you're debasing your currency. But you're you're you're, you're uh, diverting resources away from other uses and pushing them towards infrastructure. So if we spend a lot of money on infrastructure, it will not stimulate the economy. Now, might it stimulate the 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 economies of the individuals who now get a good job building the the bridges? Well, maybe maybe they're going to get paid more money building a government bridge than they would have earned in the private sector, or maybe somebody who's unemployed will will, will get a job, but That means that a lot of people who are employed are going to have a reduction in their purchasing power because resources are being diverted away to repairing infrastructure instead of some other use that we would prefer. But now we have to build infrastructure. Also, people think that we're going to get the stimulus from tax cuts. But again, if the government keeps spending the money and so instead of paying for government with tax cuts, we do it with debt or inflation. Whatever stimulus the tax cuts give, the inflation or the extra debt taketh away. And in fact, it'll actually take away more than the tax cuts give. I mean, can we boost the GDP number nominally? Yeah, of course. But in real terms, we're not going to do that. In fact, Donald Trump, right, he's talking about already imposing this border tax on Mexico as if this is how Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Mexico's not going to pay for the wall if we have a tariff on Mexican imports. Mexico doesn't pay that tax. American consumers who buy Mexican products pay that tax. It's not a tax on the Mexicans. It's a tax on Americans who want to buy Mexican products. Now, I'm reading a lot and hearing a lot about how this is going to be terrible for Mexico, right? I mean, we have all the cards because, you know, we're their biggest customer. And, you know, they have this huge trade surplus with us and that, you know, we... Uh, you know, have all, all this to gain and Mexico has a lot to lose and therefore, you know, they 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 really can't call the shots and, and we get to dictate this. This is not true. America will suffer more. Americans will suffer more than Mexicans if we impose a tax. And, and here's why. So let's assume we impose a 20% tax on all the products that come across from the Me- Mexico, right? Now, Americans are not gonna just stop buying all Mexican products. They will buy fewer Mexican products to the extent that the 20% tariff now makes a Mexican product more expensive than the next lowest cost competitor. So let's say there's a product that wasn't made in Mexico and the one in Mexico is 10% cheaper. Well, now if you put a a 20% tax, so instead of buying the Mexican product, well, you'll buy the product that's made in another country instead of Mexico, because now that, that product offers you a, a better value, but you're still paying extra because you're paying 10% more, right? Now, because now you're not buying the Mexican product, you're buying a product from another country that you wouldn't have bought but for that tariff, but now it's more expensive. But to the extent that you put the 20% tariff on the Mexican product and it's still your best alternative, it's still cheaper than the next cheapest product, well, then you're going to buy it but it's just going to be 10% more expensive. Now, of course, since Americans don't have an unlimited amount of money, they will buy fewer Mexican products at a higher price than they can at a lower price. So I'm sure that Mexico's exports to the United States will go down as a result of the tariff. They won't go to zero. I don't know by what percentage. Let's just say they go down by 30%. Let's say that Mexico exports 30% less stuff to America because of the tariff. But that still means that the 70 percent is still being exported. Americans are still buying it. They're just paying 20 percent more to do it. Right. That's a negative for Americans. That hasn't impacted the Mexicans because they're still getting the same amount of money that they were getting before for, for, for that percentage of their exports. Now, what about the 30 percent that they're no longer selling to America? Well, it's not just going to sit there and rot or they're just not going to pile up at a dump somewhere. They're going to sell it to Other countries, right? There are other markets in South America, in Europe, in Asia that will buy those products. The reason they're not exporting those products to those countries now is because they can get more money exporting them to America because all they have to do is drive across the border. The transportation costs are very low. It's more expensive to transport their goods, let's say to Europe. But if the 20% tax in America means that actually they can make now now they are better off exporting their goods to South America or Europe or Asia, then that's what they'll do, right? They're still going to sell these products. Now, they're not going to get as much as they would have got had they sold them to America, but they're going to make something. They're just going to make less, right? Or to some extent, they'll consume the products domestically, right? But obviously, the, the companies will not make as much money selling domestically because if they could, they would have already been selling domestically. The fact that they're exporting is because they can get a better price, but if they can no longer get a pr- better price uh, exporting, they'll, they'll take what price they can get domestically, which actually helps Mexican consumers because now they get to buy more stuff that used to be sent up uh, north of the border. But the biggest loser is going to be Americans because we're going to have to pay more for everything. Either we're going to pay more for Mexican products or we're going to pay more for products that we import from other countries that are now cheaper than the Mexican uh, products with the tariff but are more expensive than what the Mexican products used to cost before the tariff. And even if we end up making something ourselves, we're going to be selling it at a higher price point than when we imported it from Mexico. So Americans are going to suffer. Americans are going to pay higher prices. So that we are the bigger losers in this, in this situation. And in fact, in general, you hear Donald Trump, oh, the world is taking advantage of us because all these countries have trade surpluses with us and they're taking advantage of us. He's got it backwards. We're taking advantage of them. We're getting their actual products that they had to make using real resources, land, labor, and capital. They had to build things, make things, and ship them over here. And what did we give them? An IOU. We gave them a dollar. I mean, who's who's the sucker here? We get real stuff and they get an IOU, nothing. It's just a piece of paper. It's nothing real. It's kind of like It's a check that we wrote against a bank account that has no funds in it. It's a bum check. If they ever tried to cash it, which means trying to spend it on American products, the check would bounce. But we're just writing bum checks all around the world. The world is taking our IOUs and just stockpiling them. And we get real stuff. So we are the winner, the world. The world is the sucker. And the reason they do this is because we have the reserve currency. This is not the result of free trade. You don't see these kind of relationships with other countries. It's just the United States that can run trade deficits with everybody because everybody wants our dollars. But once the dollar collapses, no one's going to want our dollars. And the only way way Americans are going to get to import is if we can export. These big imbalances are not because of free trade. It's because the dollar is the reserve currency. And people are dumb enough to want it. And so they're willing to exchange real goods to get these dollars. Well, the joke's on them, right? Because this is a bubble. This is a Ponzi scheme. The dollar's going to crash. These checks are no good. And then we're going to have to start pulling our own weight. Then we're not going to be able to take advantage of the world's productivity, of the world's production and manufacturing capacity. We're going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to make it in America. We're going to have to hire in America. And it's going to be a lot more expensive. It's going to be a lot more difficult when we have to get back in reality instead of living in this big bubble, this big fantasy. But, you know, there's an expression again, right? Be careful what you wish for because it just might happen. And, of course, we do need to do this because the longer we ride on the global gravy train, the harder it's going to be to create, you know, to ride on our own train when the world gets tired of lugging us around, when they actually realize, you know, what, what suckers they've been, you know, doing all this for us. Remember in my book, I compared it to Tom Sawyer You know, getting all of um, his friends to paint his fence, to do his chores. And then he got the friends to pay him to do his chores. And he sat back and he had fun while he convinced all his friends to do his work. That's what we've done. See, I used to joke, I said, you know, when Mark Twain wrote Tom Sawyer, that joke in that book would somehow be the, the, the linchpin of the entire global economy, that the whole world would basically base itself on Tom Sawyer and having his friends whitewash the fence. But that's basically where we are. And people just do not understand uh, the real nature of this relationship. And in the short run, who the winner is and who the loser is. You know, another thing that Trump is talking about doing, and although he's backtracking, is this border adjusted corporate tax, which can never happen. I mean, no one has really analyzed this. And I, you know, I thought about it for a little bit to see the real flaw. But the way this thing works, right, is if you're a corporation and you import a product and then you sell it, you cannot deduct from your U.S. income taxes the cost of the import. So if you import, um, well, you know, let's let's say you're a jewelry store and you import a Swiss watch, right? Let's say you import that watch and it costs you $1,000 to import it. And then you mark it up 50% and you sell it for $1,500 in your store. Well, when you sell it, today you would deduct $1,000. You have a $500 you know profit, and then of course you know you deduct your 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 the rest of your costs. You know your rent, your salaries to determine your taxable income. But under the border adjusted tax, you would not get to write off the one thousand dollars that you paid to import the uh, the watch. So now you're paying taxes on the entire fifteen hundred that you got when you sold it, not just the five hundred which was the markup. And if the corporate income tax is twenty percent, which they're talking about reducing it to, what that effectively does. Is impose a 20% tax on imports, which U.S. companies will have to pass on, just like a sales tax, to their customers. So they will have to increase the price of the watch by 20% to recoup, uh, to recoup that tax, right? And theoretically, this is this is how it's going to work. But the reality is, if you impose a 20% tax on foreign products that you buy from an American retailer, why would you buy them from an American retailer? just go online and buy the swiss watch directly from a swiss company that's selling on the internet or maybe even a canadian company that's selling a swiss watch just buy it yourself because there you don't have to pay that tax right you could get it and and, and avoid it and of course you also avoid the local sales tax which might be what 789% So if they actually did this it would destroy the brick and mortar stores nobody would buy anything from these stores you would just order everything directly online because it would be so much cheaper right now some of the online retailers i guess they could set up foreign subsidiaries so if you wanted to buy a product from an american online retailer you would buy it from its foreign subsidiary so you can buy it directly from a foreign country and just buy it yourself and not have to pay that tax now of course if we just had a vat or a complete tariff, then that wouldn't be a problem, right? If they just went out and said, we're gonna have a 20% tariff on all imported products, then you would pay that tariff if you bought it directly. But Trump doesn't wanna impose the tariff, right? Because then when you do that, it's obvious, more obvious that the Americans are paying it. So they wanna bury it in this border adjusted income tax. But this thing would destroy uh, brick and mortar retailers. I mean, absolutely obliterate them if it actually went through, which is another reason why there's no way it's gonna go through even though they talk about it, uh, the people who are talking about it really haven't thought it out. It only works if you also have a tariff that's the same amount of that the, the corporate tax. But then if you're going to have a tariff, then you don't even need a border-adjusted tax because you're already getting a tax on, on the tariff. And then, too, a lot of people think, well, whether it's a border-adjusted tax or you know Trump is talking about we're going to cut regulation, we're going to cut taxes. A lot of people now are thinking, well, we're just going to build all these factories We're going to make all this stuff ourselves, and that's going to be great, right? Because we're not going to have to import it. We're going to make it ourselves. First of all, we can't. We don't even have the real savings, even if corporations repatriate a lot of their offshore earnings. You know, it takes a lot to basically resurrect entire industries that are no longer here. And it's not simply building a factory to make something, but it's the entire supply chain. There are all sorts of components, little pieces that have to go together. And all these industries have been dismantled over the generations and they're just no longer here. So it's a huge undertaking to try to bring them back. And it's going to require a lot of capital investment, a lot of retraining, which in the short run is going to be a cost that we have to bear. So it's not going to immediately bear fruit. These are long term investments, right, which I believe need to be made. But we can't say we're going to make these long term sacrifices and it's going to immediately, uh, you know, feel better as far as, you know, making everybody richer. It's not in the short run. In the short run, you know, it's, we're going to have to spend less. Right. We're going to have to have a reduction in our standard of living. But there's another thing that nobody really talks about, even if you're a big company. Let's say, you know, the president is beating up uh, Ford or General Motors. Hey, build a factory in America. Right. Don't build a factory in Mexico or wherever you are going to build it. And build it in America. And you know what? We're going to cut taxes and we're going to cut regulations. And so it's going to be a lot you know, more cost effective. Well, first of all, am I going to make a commitment to build an American factory based on the promise by the president that we're going to have lower taxes and less regulation? Not on, not on your life. Let's first see the tax cuts actually enacted. Let's see the regulation reform. Let's see it actually happen. I mean, you're not going to do it based on you know, the, the possibility that you'll have some regulatory relief. Let's see the regulatory relief. Actually remove the regulations so I can actually see on paper what regulations I no longer have to comply with if I build an American factory. And so I know exactly the reduction of my costs. So now I can do a cost-benefit analysis and say, okay, given these regulations having been repealed and giving this reduction in tax, is it now better for me to build my factory here versus someplace else, right? But I'm not going to do that until I know exactly what the regulatory relief and cost and tax savings are. I'm not going to, you know, buy a pig in the poke. But then think about this. Even if we pass cuts in taxes and we eliminate a bunch of regulations such that it may be tempting to actually build a plant here, right? Based on these spending, these regulation repeals or based on lower taxes. How long is it actually going to take me to build that plant. I mean it could take years. I don't know, maybe it takes 2 or 3 years to build to build a plant, to get it all uh, you know uh, finished, to get all the equipment, then you got to hire the workers, maybe you got to train them. Right? This is a this is a long process. Donald Trump may not even be office by the time you finish with the the factory. You build out the factory, you hire all your people, and now Trump's not in office. What if he doesn't get reelected in 4 years? What if a democrat is elected? And then the democrat is like, "Oh, well, we got to raise taxes on these corporations." Oh, we need more regulation. I mean, any regulation that they repeal today, they can reimpose tomorrow. Any taxes they cut, they can raise taxes in the future. So I'm going to make a big investment as a corporation based on some tax cuts and regulatory relief that may be temporary. That's probably temporary. In fact, when you have a national debt the size of ours, $20 if we're not making any cuts in government spending, any tax cut is temporary because we're going to have to raise taxes to repay this massive debt that's going to go. So any tax cut you get now is just a down payment on a larger tax hike in the future. And of course, if the Democrats get in power in four years, who are they going to tax? Oh, the greedy corporations. Now let's have a windfall profit tax on these corporations. They've been getting away with murder for four years of Trump. They had these low taxes. We need to, We need to catch up. We need to make up. We need to have extra high taxes now to make up for those years of low taxes. I mean, you know that's what they're going to do. And who do you know? Maybe Trump, maybe Trump gets reelected, but then he has to raise taxes because he, there's a de- deficit crisis. You know, and then he, okay, now we got to raise taxes. I mean, you've had Republicans, right? Read my lips I and mean, raise, ta- raise taxes. I mean, and Donald Trump, he's, you know, he's flip-flopped on things. So tax cuts now, tax hikes later. But, you know, more likely, if we get a very liberal Democratic president, maybe maybe we have a massive recession in the next few years because this bubble burst under under Trump, and then the Democrats come in, and uh, it's game over. Why take that chance? Who's gonna be dumb enough to take that chance and invest the kind of money that you would actually have to invest? The only way that I would wanna bring a factory back to America would be if I was confident that the tax cuts were permanent, if I was confident that the regulatory relief was permanent. Now, how are you gonna do that? Well, maybe if we had massive cuts in government spending, if we closed down agencies and departments, We reformed the entitlement so that I knew that the government was less expensive. Well, then I would know, well, we don't need the higher taxes because we've dramatically reduced government spending. But if government spending keeps growing, then I know that the government's going to need more money. And how are they going to get it? They're going to raise taxes on corporations. And, of course, the regulations, I mean, a lot of the regulations, you know, government, you know, the president signs an executive order. all, All these regulations come back. Right? I mean, anything Trump could take away, the next president can just put right back in, just like Trump is trying to take away some of the executive orders of, of Obama. So a Democrat can come back in and undo whatever Trump did. There's so much uncertainty about the future. You are not going to change your plans and start investing all this money. So, all these pipe dreams about this manufacturing renaissance, this export renaissance, we're going to make it all ourselves. This is all a bunch of nonsense. This is not going to happen. I mean, in the long run, I hope it happens, but it's going to be a, a painful path to get there. We're going to go through a huge contraction, a huge—and the government's going to be forced to slash spending. We're going to have to go through some very, uh, you know, substantial monetary and economic triage. I mean, this is going to be—this going to be tough. It's not going to be, you know, we're just going to start winning and winning and winning and winning so much that we're going to be tired of winning and hope that, you know, that we would lose once in a while because we're so bored of winning— that's not how, how it's going to be. You know, I moved here to Puerto Rico because I have, you know, very low taxes in Puerto Rico. But when you come to Puerto Rico, the government, if you go through these Act 20 and Act 22, the government actually gives you a contract that says your low tax rates are guaranteed until 2035. Because otherwise nobody would come. I mean, who's going to believe that? Yes. You're, oh, yes. Yes. Get me to come to Puerto Rico, uproot my family, move a business, buy a house, get all settled down in Puerto Rico. You next thing you know, you're going to say, oh, we're going to raise your taxes. You know, thanks, everybody, for coming. But, you know, Puerto Rico's broke. We need money. And all you rich Americans who just moved here, you know, we're just going to tax the hell out of you now. Right. Said so nobody would come. I mean, who would come to a broke country like Puerto Rico based on, what well, we're going to give you low taxes. People would know it was a trick. It was a bait and switch. But we get a guarantee, a legally binding contract that says we can't raise your taxes to pay off our bills. That's the only reason people have come. So that would be the only reason. If you were going to build a factory in America that you would otherwise build someplace else, but based on some tax cuts or regulatory relief, it now makes more sense to build it here. I still wouldn't build it unless the government gave me a binding contract that said, this is my tax rate. You can never raise my taxes, and you can never hit me with new regulations. These are all my regulations. I don't get it, but Trump can't do that. There's no way the U.S. government can give a corporation a deal like that. So it's never going to happen. All of this is just pie in the sky fantasy, and of course, this whole you know fantasy cloud is going to dissipate over time. You know, as people realize that 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 none of this great stuff is going to miraculously happen just because Donald Trump is willing it to happen. And yes, just, and if you're gonna pound your chest and talk about how they're taking advantage of us, they're giving us all this stuff and we're not having to pay for it, we're getting all these consumer goods that we didn't have to make, right? And somehow that means the world is taking advantage of us because we have these big trade deficits. If we wanna balance our trade, we're gonna have to export a lot of stuff. And if we're gonna go without imports, we're gonna have to make a lot of stuff that we're not making right now. How are we gonna do it? Where's it gonna come from? Right, it just doesn't come from nothing. It doesn't just fall from heavens like manna. We got to bake that bread ourselves. So we need to teach people how to bake, and we need to build the ovens and all all the all the things, all the accoutrements that are necessary to make that bread. Because it's not going to fall from heaven. We're going to have to make it ourselves. And so this there's going to be a short-term cost associated with doing all that. Long-term, yes, there's great benefits to it. But in the short run, and the short run is many many years. It's not. We're not talking weeks or months. This is years long process to get this going. And of course, I know there are people out there that say, look, it doesn't matter what anything costs. We have the money. You know, after I did the CNBC with Rick Santelli, I got a phone call from some guy, but he called me to leave me a message to tell me to stop going on television saying that America is broke because we can never be broke because we can print money. And as long as we can print money, we're never broke. And so we can do whatever we want, that we can spend whatever money we want on infrastructure because we can spend money. Because we can print it. I mean, that is the ridiculous attitude that just because you have a printing press, you don't have to worry. I mean, Zimbabwe had a printing press. Did that, you know, if that were true, well, you know, why, why did Zimbabwe collapse? I mean, why didn't they just print dollars and fix their economy? Because the currency collapsed. I mean, why, why did the, the Reichsmark collapse in the Weimar Republic? I mean, right? They, they had a printing press. I mean, every country, the easiest thing you can do is have a printing press. So does it mean that's a key to be able to spend whatever you want? that you, know, you don't have to worry about debt, you can never be broke as long as you possess a printing press? That's not true. Now, if you can print money and it never loses value, then maybe that's true. But in what world is that? Where can you just make an infinite supply of something and yet not have the value go down? Now, America has been able to live with the, with, we've been able to print a lot more money than any other country because it's the reserve currency. And because it's the reserve currency, we've gotten a lot more slack, right? we've We've got a lot of rope that a lot of countries, you know, would already have hung themselves already. But we've got so much rope, but you know, it's not an indefinite amount. And at some point if we have the attitude that the deficit doesn't matter and that we're going to print as much money as we want because we're never going to be broke and we can print money to pay for infrastructure, we can print money to finance tax cuts, we can print money to build a wall, we can we can print money to beef up our military and it doesn't matter how high the national debt goes, because we can print all the money we need to pay it off. Once our creditors realize that that is the road we're going down, the dollar will not be the reserve currency anymore. The dollar will crash. The dollar will become worthless. And then you're broke, right? When your money is worthless, you're broke. And if the dollar becomes worthless, what difference does it make how many of them the government can print? Because it doesn't buy anything, right? When the money is worthless, it doesn't matter how much you have. Right. How many how much money people in Zimbabwe had trillion dollar bills, hundred trillion dollar bills in their pocket. They were worthless. They couldn't even buy a pack of chewing gum with a 100 trillion uh, Zimbabwe dollars. So that's how you go broke, borrowing and printing in your own money, because you have that attitude and you destroy the value of the currency. The only way to avoid that is to stop printing, raise interest rates, and then we experience the consequence of all this debt. One way or another, we're going to do it. But you have this polyonic attitude out there that it doesn't matter as long as we borrow in our own currency. We can never be broke. The deficit doesn't matter. And so we can spend money on whatever we want, guns and butter, because we borrow our own currency. This is an unlimited checkbook. This is the biggest nonsense out there. And, you know, a lot of people believe it. And I bet you can see the Republicans kind of embracing, even though in a way they've been, you know, campaigning as fiscal conservatives. Hey, a lot of these guys are probably going to turn into Keynesians and turn into you know uh, these I don't know the MMT or whatever these this ridiculous uh, theory is about money printing but that's what they're going to adopt because they want the guns and butter they want to spend more they want to have tax cuts they want to do all this and of course they want to get on this Trump train because they 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 see the momentum there and so they want to they want to join the party so i think a lot of these uh, Fiscal hawks are just going to fall by the wayside. And you know that to the extent that there's some holdouts in the Republican Party, there's a lot of Democrats that want to jump on this train, too, right? You know, because it's very pro-worker. Look at the labor unions. Trump is palling around with the the big labor unions. They love them. They love what he's talking about. So there's going to be a lot of people on the left that are going to join the Republicans who want to spend more money. And so the few fiscal conservatives out there that might object to some of these larger deficits— they're not going to have enough votes to overcome the unification of both Republicans and Democrats who, who want to support uh, bigger government and more spending and want to support Trump and want to be associated with that uh, when they have to go up for re-election in a couple of years.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Pacific Capital and Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail... Silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.